Gua sobrok. Ai. <laughs> There's not a rule that you have to use the three subs. He's he's the best left back in Canada, without a doubt. Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Third Sub Podcast presented by Macy Sports. I'm your co-host Alexander Kondi Ruzik, joined as always by Samuel Rowan. And we're back for episode 128, of course, of the show. And it is a fun one. We've got an all-Canada men's national team special here. Canada on the cusp of Qatar. Big things coming for them their biggest window yet i say if you want to go for the tv cliche intro but uh, you all probably know that but we're going to dive into all the permutations in this show but uh before we dive into it um sam i don't know i'm 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 spinning around here because i'm i guess i'm so excited to talk canada i hoped i introduced you if not samuel rowan here how are things going this week and how are you feeling ahead of this dizzying exciting exuberant window for the canadian men's national team doing really well uh i've had enough mls i mean you know other than tf national team soccer other than tfc getting a win uh, it's been tough for the canadian team so far that crazy comeback by atlanta to kind of rip the hearts of the cf montreal obviously the vancouver whitecaps struggling so moving to a team that's undefeated in recent history that's uh you know seems to have everything rolling at the moment there's new players being added into the fold that you're excited about uh, it's everything you could want as a canadian soccer fan so uh, looking forward to some some more big matches i mean yes the the national team's on the verge of clinching but as we're gonna i think outline you know there's still still reasons to play these matches still work to be done in preparation for the world cup so lots of little storylines things to look into we're gonna dive into the roster dive into the matchups a little bit try to set the stage for uh, what's promising to be a, a very exciting window and uh, yeah looking forward to getting into it yeah for sure I think it's it's always fun I mean this Canadian team not only have they been winning which is always fun but they've been playing fun entertaining attractive soccer um, they stand up for each other they're gritty but they also pass the ball well they attack well they score lots of goals like it's it's, it's a fun team to watch so just beyond you know that's always going to be uh exciting but it's just the fact that yeah like you mentioned it's it's almost i guess it's almost fitting in a sense that we're here like on one hand i would have loved to have canada wrap it up already in the last window just so you get it out the way you come into this window you just you're not stressed you can chase your your, your other goals such as seeding etc etc but you're not sitting there thinking we must head to this place and win. We must head to this place and win. Like, you, you know, you're seeing some of the discourses, say, especially on like U.S. men's national team Twitter, for example. You know, yes, Canada doesn't have, isn't at that extent, but you're still at a point where, yes, you need to go to a Costa Rican team who, as we're going to talk about here, people aren't talking about enough about how, A, how good Costa Rica sneaky, sneaky good run of form. And B, how just like, they're right in the middle of the race. Like, you know, everyone's talking about how Panama's the upstarts and Costa Rica's have been lagging behind one point between one the point. two teams heading into the, into the last three games. So 
it's going to be a tough window for Canada. You do want them first and foremost just to get it out of the way because, you know, all of a sudden it's CONCACAF. I think I saw that my favorite stat that I saw was someone, someone ran a simulation of like World Cup scenarios and I think they ran 1,500 simulations of the last three games and Canada didn't, like Canada made it in, in, in every one of the 1,500 scenarios or it's like there was just a few where they even fall to fourth. So it's like, yes, it's almost mathematically secured, but I feel like if there's a confederation that defies basic mathematic laws, it's CONCACAF. It's, so you want to, if you can, you want to see them book that spot. But at the same time, just hopefully can keep the good times rolling, especially after that last window where you head into Honduras. You get a 2-0 win to remember where you just, you manage to, to, to overcome the expectations of such a haunted venue you go to you you come back up you beat the US at home the 2-0 it's it's you know it's a big win it's a you know a third an assured not dominant but a very like you know deserved win and you go down to El Salvador and you just play them off their own pitch in a tough environment like that that was fun the results you know really backed it up and for Canada it's going to be hard to do the same i mean Costa Rica and Panama way it's like the last two away games, but like ramped up by a hundred just because those teams are must wins. There's going to be full crowds. They're, you know, on paper, they're better teams. And then you play Jamaica at home. That maybe is the, the little of the, the, the easier game on paper. It's not going to be easy, but uh, all for all to play for it here for Canada, even though it feels like they're, they're all but in at the same time. I mean, exactly. That's, that's what I'm looking at in this window, how you laid it out. The, the two best teams, other than Canada and not named the U.S. or Mexico, you have to go to those hostile environments, uh, you know, places that Canada hasn't had a ton of success over the years. And maybe you're not as desperate for results as you once were, but obviously you want to um, do everything you can for your seating, uh, want to do everything you can for your confidence. And these are teams that are, are going to have more to play for than you because they're going to be scrapping for um, fourth spot at the very least. If not, you know, if, if the U.S. drops some points, they might be sniffing around that, that third spot in automatic qualification. So there's going to be a lot of desperation, a lot of passion, a lot of urgency there on behalf of those two teams. And Canada's going to have to be on the lookout for that. And then, you know, Jamaica at home, yes, they're already eliminated, but there's there's a pride element there. There's a lot of young guys on the roster that are, you know, going to be looking to to cement their spot long term. So that's not one you can you can overlook either. But obviously the I think, you know, the the first match is the focus, but really those two away, um, you know, that's that's just another test for this Canadian team that's easily lapped over every hurdle so far. Yeah, we'll not we'll save the the, the individual team profiling for for, for a second here because we will we won't dive deep into each team. Like I'm not going to go sit here and say oh Costa Rica plays this. I mean, although if you do like that sort of stuff, I am planning to do a bit of a, a written preview more along that like. So if you do like that thing, but uh, we'll go into what you know we expect from either team, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But we'll start with Canada. Let's go with the squad. I mean. It's coming to the point, I think if we're going to talk about one of the biggest things that shows how far Canada's come, it's just like how solid the squad is. Like before it was like... No, you know, no ugly play? surprises. 
yeah, there's no, oh, is this guy going to make it in with this form? Like, it's funny that two of the guys that maybe dominated the conversation, for example, Stefano Stacchio and Richie Larea. Oh, Stacchio hasn't played as much. Richie Larea. Like, Larea, yes, he's sitting on the bench. He's sitting on the bench of a team that's fighting for promotion of the English Premier League. Stefano Stacchio has been playing been semi-regularly. In, Nottingham has been an absolutely amazing form, <laughs> especially in cup football. It's It's been incredible to watch. Like, they narrowly lost to Liverpool yesterday. Like, one nothing. They like, beat it was, the you know, they doors beat. off Leicester City, which was was crazy. And they beat Arsenal. And they, they, they it's been a, a wild run. Porto is Porto. Like, you know, you yeah. talk... It's it, it might not be the you know on the levels of your 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 Bayerns your 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 you know your Barcelonas your Reals but it's, it's like a historically big, big club club like it's in that top twenty so to speak they're a Champions League uh con, you know team most years other unless they have that every one in five years where they maybe hit a wall and just those if those are your surprises that just shows how far it's come like for me look at depth like I look at someone like Ek Ugbo three months ago not in the fold at all now he's getting called and he's just casually been scoring goals in league and he's kind of feels like he's not even a starter let alone it's hard to know where he kind of sits in the the secondary pecking order of the team and it goes down the list even guys at the bottom of the roster like you'd say maybe liam fraser lucas cavallini cav has been playing out of his skin with the white caps finally after uh, a tough year there liam fraser's regularly getting minutes in, in the belgian second division like it's it's really a different team and i think when you look at what's changed that makes the biggest difference because not only has the team bought into john herdman's tactics they're 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 looking like they've got the stars but they're a deep team and it's not just a deep team but it's a team that's using their depth like everyone who's played this octo has found a way to make a difference and i think that's what's going to be that what that's what has been the biggest difference maker and that's what's going to be what gets them through this window is that continued depth and reliance on that depth absolutely i mean you know all all phases of the roster uh and, and also having the guys back in mls form someone like mark anthony k who i i think struggled um early on or kind of in the you know in the mls off season like that that was tough for him to get in and, and really make an impact but he's been in good form uh max cropo has been in good form if you need him to play a match uh daniel henry especially if you know uh, now he's suspended but if if yellow card suspension pops up for other guys subsequently he's someone who can slot in play a little bit for lafc so i think just that's another element you get to add yes okay you have Lorea and Eustachio, but these are, you know, top class players for this Canadian team. I don't think you have to worry about that, but some of the depth guys from MLS, they're in regular season form now. And I think that's a, that's a big boost as well. Oh no, exactly. I think that's, you know, what, what makes such a big difference again is, is... or a guy like Azorio, sorry, I forgot to mention, but someone who was playing well for Canada, even when he was out of club form, just not playing during the off season, but now he's in good form for TFC and he's coming back into a national team. He's had a lot of success. So it's like, you know, just an added bonus. Well, what's been big about this Canadian team, I think we've noticed over the last year or so i'd say especially for the first time ever feels like when players or not first time ever but first time in a long time at least when players wear the canadian shirt they get better they just seem to find another level i think you look at kyle laren like this guy has been on all sorts of roller coaster of form this past year 
Some weeks he was scoring a hat trick. Some weeks he's injured. He could barely, you know, he's playing 45 minutes, getting pulled off of a game at halftime. And he comes to Canada and he has something like 15 goals in his last like 16 games where he's seen the pitch. That's just an example. You look at Sam Atacugby. Every time he puts on the Canadian shirt, he looks like, you know, like an Alfonso Davies just reincarnation they're playing playing alongside him it's like you have double alfonso davies's like there's countless examples i'm not going to go through each of the list but i think that's been the biggest difference with this canadian team is uh before it was really like a especially i'd say the two three years ago like the beginning of john herdman's ter- tenure it was really a stars team and i mean that makes sense you got your alfonso davies your jonathan davids even your secondary stars like your tiba hutchinson's your junior hoylets like it made sense. Like they've, they've been around, they were your leaders, but what, you know, what's huge now is that everyone who's, who wears your shirt, you look at Alistair Johnston, like how good he looks pocketing guys like Christian Pulisic uh, whenever he puts on the Canadian shirt. And I think that was that last window. We, we saw it. It was, they were out of form and they still found a way to deliver. So the fact is you look down the roster this time around, you see that guys like Jonathan Zorio, Mark Anthony K scoring two goals in two weeks, you know, guys like that are now informed that that that's you know scary but before we end up going in you know too far into into the weeds with the list we do have some names we do want to highlight in particular let's go the surprises there are some surprises not in the sense that oh it's unexpected they were kind of on the radar still you do wonder okay maybe could have this guy got in this guy got in you're kind of picking at you know grasping at straws arguing your case for one guy or the other there's three of those guys on this on this roster. I'd say looking at the 25 men, obviously no Alfonso Davies. We'll preface that. We'll also add there's no Samuel Piet, no David Weatherspoon, as they're also injured. Other than that, full complement of guys. First guy up in the surprise list, Dane Sinclair. Sam, thoughts on his inclusion? Well, yeah, just good to see Dane Sinclair, you know, kind of back on the radar, uh, getting some minutes in MLS because uh, that was obviously, you know, had that had that breakout, and then last season didn't really get a ton of minutes, didn't get a lot of exposure. Um, ultimately, in terms of you know actually playing for Canada at the moment, like there's not a lot there as a third keeper, but being part of the camps, being part of the process, and just having a guy that if someone were to go down injured, now you you have that added depth, someone you're really, you know, confident in on the roster um, and, and, you know, someone else to battle with a, with a Pantemis for that third spot. So uh, yeah, probably not going to see a lot of impact uh, from that addition this window, but great to see um, him getting back involved because, you know, good, good for him personally, but also good for the team. Yeah, I think it's a, Ultimately, I think it's it's a fair move. I think it, the only surprise I had I had with it is just the body of work recently. Not whenever he's played, he's been fantastic. The problem is he's just had since Still I think it was pretty May, lim- pretty limited. Since May of last year, I think it's three games he started, and all three were just because Tyler Miller got sick. And he's been fantastic. He's kept clean sheets in two of them, and the other one was the playoff game last year for Minnesota, where Sebastian Blanco decided to turn into like Janino slash like Philip Coutinho, whatever you want to call it. He just was scoring all these outside of the box, you know, golassos. So Dane Sinclair has been good. For me, the question was with the body of work, was that enough to make it in? But ultimately, Canada likes him a lot long-term. He's he's in form. I think it's the right move. 
I think it's going to be interesting to see how this battle plays out, though. It's almost unfortunate that we don't have a gold cup this year for Canada, just because, like, if I'm Herdman, I would have honestly loved to be like, okay, let's leave Borean and Crepo at home because, you know, they're going to be in the World Cup squad later this year and just let, like, Sinclair, Thomas Assal, who, you know, we've, he's got a handful of games, has looked good. James, Sebastian Brezza, who's been playing regularly, he's obviously a, a dual national, is also eligible for Norway. Something worth contentious, considering. Uh, contentious thoughts on Brezza after that Atlanta match. Uh, definitely saw yeah, some, I know. Saw His some stock slander. Saw some slander in the comment sections for sure. <laughs> Well, his, his stock was rising and, and before that game, and maybe it dipped a little bit after that game. So John Herdman, uh, maybe Brezza had a tough game just because he was thinking about have not to being say a Canadian. But... Something not to be a Whitecaps homer, but something to keep in mind. You know, you look at a guy like Brezza. Okay, new to new to MLS, relatively. You know, he's twenty four. Thomas Assal significantly younger. And a regular starter. 22. That's young for a goal. Yeah. So 20, just, you know, maybe like, maybe not right now, maybe not this cycle, but something John Herman should be be keeping an eye on, I think. Oh no, for sure. So I think it's it's gonna be fun, I think. Ultimately, with the third goalkeeper spot, it, it goes one of two ways, I think, at the national team level. Either it's just a veteran who's been around, you know he's gonna be there even if he's not playing. That's normal. You see that on I'm pretty sure when France won, they they just called in Steve Mandanda as the third goalie. It's just vibes. You, you kind of got your your main guys in Hugo Lloris and and, and uh, Alphonse Ariola at the time. Just called in Steve Mandanda. He was the guy. He was the third. You know, you could argue this this guy in Liga, this guy then. You know, that, that's just how it works. Whereas Canada, you, you got your veteran guy in Milan Boyan at the top of the lineup. So in their case, it's kind of all about just grooming the next guy, the next guy up. Uh, before it was. Crepo when he wasn't ready and it was kind of Borean and then whoever would be the second keeper at times it kind of vary based on the the year and then it was Crepo now Crepo's graduated up to that second role what what you know what someone pointed out to me on Twitter which is very good point with how these Dane Sinclairs and Thomas Assaults and even Sebastian Brezes are playing they're starting to knock on the door of you know not just being in the squad, but they're also not you know starting to knock on the door of Crepo. It's not in the sense that they're going to pass them by the end of the year, I don't think. But you know, a solid season, two solid seasons, all of a sudden you're in that discussion. So I think it's going to be good for these guys to compete just to get in the third as a third, and then from there try to compete to supplant Crepo. And I think that that competition is going to be very healthy. So I'm happy uh, Saint Clair is in. I, I like him. I just wondered personally based on the body of work but uh i think he'll he'll do a good job and it just opens up the battle for nations league especially i think that's going to be a dog fight there it's going to be interesting to see because the one thing that is annoying about the november world cup window is i'm looking there's only one official window after june it's september obviously what we're going to see is we're going to see a bunch of teams get together in the summer and organize non-official camps and then in october in the lead up they will also organized non-official camps but the reality is if you want an official camp where you're secured of you're having your full roster it's june it's september and it's the the lead up to the world cup where obviously players are allowed to be released a little earlier so it would be nice to it's going to be interesting to see how that battle materializes but uh, other than that the other name on the list someone we're, we're very familiar with here over at the white caps christian gutierrez no alfonso davies sam atticude be suspended for the first game 
there's a there's a door open at left back. Gutierrez his third call up to Canada. Not a surprise, but with Raheem Edwards knocking on the door, Sam, what are your thoughts on Gutierrez's inclusion? Well, yeah, I think the the focus this window, or certainly to start off a little more generally, is sort of on those wide spots, right? Because we already mentioned Richie Larea, um, while he's been playing really well for Canada, hasn't had a lot of minutes uh, for Nottingham since since making the move. You got Sam suspended for the for the first match. No Alfonso Davies. So the you know a, a position where Vancouver, not Vancouver, sorry, Canada. You know, it's the day after the White Cast match. I got to get out of the got to get out of the mold. Yeah, maybe but, we shouldn't talk about that one. <laughs> and yeah, and also, I mean Gutierrez. But this is a Canadian team that actually, for once, they're not just loaded with wide options at those kind of you know fullback, wingback spots. The the way it has felt like they were at times. So will Goody get in? Will he? Uh, will he see significant minutes? I don't know. I think there's there's certainly the potential there, um, and it's interesting because the Whitecaps have sort of played around with how they wanted to use him. Maybe not the most reliable guy in the world one on one defensively. Like I don't think he he stands up to a a Lorea or a or an Atacubi in that sense. Certainly not to someone like Sam Atacubi, but uh, he can provide something with the left foot, uh, crossing it into the box. You know, he's kind of got some midfield attributes. So that'll be interesting to see how Herdman integrates him if that's something they do. Because, uh, you know, John Herdman's been a real, we talked about this before, a real shapeshifter in terms of tactical identity, right? Like they sort of blend to whoever they're playing against uh, to whoever they have in the squad at the time. So I'm definitely going to be watching those uh, those wide areas uh, and, and the kind of fullback, wingback spot to see what Herdman does this window because I think that's that's interesting. You know, Goody's been all right to start the year, but not in, not in tremendous form. So uh, I'll be curious if he does get in for Canada, how he's able to adjust. I mean, yeah, for sure. And I think... It's going to be interesting how Gutierrez fits. Personally, I think it's a great matchup, just the way how he's looked in that back five for the Whitecaps when unleashed. I think it, you're looking like for like replacement for Sam Adekugbe. It's not going to be easy because Adekugbe, like I mentioned at the top, has been playing out of his skin every time he takes the, the, the field for Canada lately. And the way he's been projecting, like honestly, a top five move could be in the cards uh, by the end of the year for Sam Adekugbe. But just stylistically, the back five, Gutierrez can also play as a center back, which is huge. Herdman loves that sort of flexibility. Goody can also play higher up the pitch. I think it fits quite seamlessly in that that back five. So honestly, I hope he gets a shot. Um, he, he This is his third call-up, like I mentioned, to Canada, and both of those times he didn't see the field at all. With Adekugbe out in the first game and the fact that Goody is in a decent form, he's played minutes, he's fit, you know he fits the system, he's also gotten used to the system, it's kind of a no-brainer. It's not like you're taking a guy like, you know, say Raheem Edwards, had he come in. Raheem Edwards, last time he was in the Canadian fold, if I'm not mistaken, like was pre-28, like it was 2018 plot, like prior, and he was playing as a winger. Like this is a new position, and don't get me wrong, I'm loving what I'm seeing from Edwards, and if he keeps playing like that, he's going to knock down the door just to get in. He's already on the standby list should something happen to Goody or Atacugby this camp. But uh, Gutierrez, for this game in particular, because 
it's really the his is going to be a chance for a new face. I think it makes sense to bring in Gutierrez. Theoretically, yes, we could see Richie Larea go on the left. Herdman has tried that before. Also, Tejan Buchanan has played at left wing back um, as well with his new club. So it's not like there are is just Goody or nothing. But in terms of a natural left-footed, left-playing left wing back, unless you want to play Derek Cornelius, Scott Kennedy, or Kamal Miller there, which I doubt it, it makes it makes sense to bring Gutierrez. And yes, it's going to be one heck of an inclusion in the Canadian squad to get your first game in a sold-out, like, 35,000-seater in Costa Rica where it's just going to be bedlam and uh, whatnot. But Gutierrez has played in some tough environments for Chile. We have to remember he played for Colo Colo, so... While, you know, playing for the Whitecaps these last few years, especially during the pandemic where there haven't been as many fans, yes, it isn't the same, but he's played in those tough, you know, Chilean, South American environments. He's used to that that weather, that environment. It all makes sense for, for him to at least get a shot, and then hopefully from there he can take it and, and run from it. Or run yeah. for it, not run from it. Run with it, sorry. Third time's a charm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I other than maybe messing around with with Tejon that seems like the natural fit right so as a huge opportunity right off the bat it, it might only be a match but it'd be very very exciting to see what what Goody can do in that role and uh yeah I'm looking forward to it but in terms of other roster notes I mean there's there's one man we have not talked about yet that's uh certainly lit MLS on fire through the first couple matches. You've done some extensive discussion already. So, uh, Alex, why don't you take it away? I know that's what, what a lot of people were getting hyped about in the comments uh, when, the, when the official roster was announced. Well, I mean, let's, if, you, if you don't know already, if you've been living under a rock, 19-year-old Ismael Kone, remember the name. I mean, what a story it is, first of all. I think it was something like at the end of, it would have been 2020, he was playing AAA in Montreal, and now he's getting a call-up to go play for the Canadian national team with the likes of Jonathan David, Tejon Pugan, and Kyle Aaron. Like, what a story that is, first of all. But uh, he's been on one the start of this season. I think uh, just from his standpoint alone, like if you're going to focus on Kone, first of all, it's been fun. I mean, you just look at what he brings to the pitch for Montreal. He's a number eight. Oh, he's been playing as a number eight for them. Interestingly enough, he's he played mostly as a winger, number 10 in the academy. Uh, but he kind of has the more of the physical tools of a number eight, the, the kind of profile of a number eight. Montreal dropped him right into a into their 3-5-2 as, as a double pivot alongside Victor Wanyama. And he's looked like he's been playing in MLS for years. Uh, you know, he's got this quality on the ball he's fearless he loves to drive forward he's he's already got two goals and two assists in seven games in his rookie first seven games as a pro is a number eight in a in a dual pivot like it's you know the numbers speak for for itself so first of all kone at his young age big things are coming you just hear some of the reports that like teams in europe are looking at him based on his his profile honestly i could see him you know, going for a lot of money to a European club within the next year or two. Uh, I think John Herdman himself said in this press conference yesterday that he's never in his four years, I guess, with the national team, he's never seen a midfielder with Kone's profile. It shows what you're talking about, but obviously a young kid, seven games in his pro career. Is this a bit early? Maybe, but what's good worth noting with, which is important to, to, to point out here, 
the opportunity was perfect. Samuel Piet out, David Witherspoon out, two Canada's already short on on two regular midfielders that they'd probably rely on. Um, that kind of opened the door. And you look at the options, it was it's kind of limited. You look, uh, you know, okay, you, could you call in a Stefan Mitrovic? Yeah, I'm sure. But A, he got called up to the Serbian youth team, and B, he's more of an attacking mid. You, with Piet being more of a number six, you kind of want like a number eight, more someone with a bit more defensive punch. Okay, who else could that be? Harry Patton, he's also more of an attacking player. Okay, you go to MLS, who else do you have? Russell Tybert, he hasn't been that good. Maybe last year I honestly would have entertained the discussion. Michael Baldissimo, he's played like 45 minutes. You go to Toronto, Ralph Priso, he's also played a handful of minutes. Noble Akello, he, he also has played a handful of minutes. Out of all the names, Kone is the one that kind of emerges to the top. So it's really a, a, a combination of the timing being perfect for him to come in and then also the combination of how good he's he's been to, to start the season. So it's a perfect storm, really, for Kone, but that's just been the start to his season. He got the opportunity because of Piet being injured. He's ran with it. Now he's got a Canada opportunity. It really shows how quickly things can move for, for a player, and it's exciting because based on his profile, this isn't going to be the last sort of moves we're going to see for him in the future. I like how it feels like John Herdman's just kind of been like, all right, well, if this is – if this is kind of the the cards I'm being dealt, like I'd be I'd be a fool not to take it, right? Like they're just gonna take this as a great opportunity to see a guy, a young guy in form who's gonna be part of the picture long term. But you know, yes, is it is it maybe a bit soon, all things considered? But there's no harm, especially um, with you know kind of the the flexibility of these matches to see 25, 30 minutes of him in the national team fold, get him comfortable with the guys and, and just sort of, you know, get an introduction to, to some of these hostile environments in in South America. So I think it's a, it's a great opportunity to just sort of roll with it. And, uh, you know, it's probably going to be in a sort of a depth second half role. Maybe we don't see a ton of minutes, but uh, I'm very excited for that. And I, again, I just like the way John Herman seems so, so willing to sort of roll with whatever, whatever cards he's dealt. And I think that's been a real a real credit to the management style these last couple of months. But do we want to talk just briefly about, uh, I don't want to say snubs, but a couple of guys who, who weren't part of the fold. And one of them, Alex, is Theo Corbino, who just, it's, it's been a weird year um, in terms of bouncing around uh, the English football pyramid and kind of trying to find a, find a semi-permanent home on loan from Wolves. So uh, maybe a thought on, on Theo and his uh, him being left out of the team. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's well, 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 it's a good point to talk about because it's a good, you know, you wonder. You see someone like Kone come in, you do wonder, or Corbianu, someone who's a little more familiar D- with Different the profile, obviously, but... Yeah, and I think that's ultimately the biggest thing with this team right now. It's just it's based on positions. It's really, that's kind of what uh, basically right now up front, it is so hard to crack uh, the roster. It really takes like, it takes injuries and not, I say injuries because yeah, it's going to take injuries. Just Alfonso Davies has pretty much been listed as a Ford. He's already out. You know, you, you look at the guys there. It's just, it's, it's going to be hard to break in. It's not like center back say where, Let's be real. If you're looking at the depth chart right now, you're one Stephen Vittoria, 
or Daniel Henry injury away from Lucas McNaughton or Joel Waterman coming in and having a new, another new face. Let's be honest. That's the way the depth chart is, is set up. And it was the same thing in midfield. They were one or two injuries away from an Ismail Kone coming in, but you just look at the depth up front and it's, it's just a bit too tight really for, for Corbiana right now. He's, he's been a decent form for MK Dons after his scorching start. He has come down to, to earth a little bit, just continuing to get reps, which for a young player, he's only 19, like it's, it's it's normal. He's adjusting to a tough league uh, on a team fighting for promotion. Uh, I'm, I'm not worried about him. I think you just look at the the forward depth chart. I think of uh, the, the players listed at forward on the team, it was Tejan Buchanan, uh, Jun, Junior Hoylet, Jon- Jonathan David, Ike Ugbo, Lucas Cavallini, Kyle Lair, and Liam Miller. That's a pretty tough group for a team that's only really been playing one or two strikers, sometimes three forwards at a time. So I think it was just, you're not going to get an over guy. Just look at someone like Miller, who's arguably somehow out of all of those guys at the bottom of that depth chart, which shows how good the depth is there. He has nine goals this year in all competitions for Basel. Like Basel's a huge, well, not huge, but a pretty darn big club. Like you might know it because Mo Salah went, they came through there once upon a time and many other players came through there. If Miller is your supposed quote unquote bottom guy in that depth chart, with nine goals this year, you got even EK Ugbo is also technically at the bottom of that depth chart with, you know, two goals in Liga and six games. Like it's going to take some, you know, some injuries or some ridiculous form for Corbianu. It unfortunately hasn't come, but he's still young. It, it shows him what he needs to take to, 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 to push into the squad. And I think his, his time will come. Yeah. And then the other one that I was just going to bring up briefly only because I saw a couple of mentions in the in the comments was uh, Tyler Pasher, but I feel like the same thing sort of applies. Where it's like, okay, yeah, you l- good little bit of form in MLS, right? But just uh, up front, so so crowded, uh, you can't get everyone involved, and so it's just. I mean, really, look at Kone and Gutierrez, right? They're guys in decent form at positions of desperate need at the moment. It's like you have to have both of those categories, otherwise it. It just the competition is so tight right now that it doesn't, uh, you know, it, just being in a good little bit of form doesn't automatically guarantee you a spot, which is, I mean, a great thing for for Canadian men's national team fans. Well, that's it for Corbianu and Pasher, and you know, even someone like Daniel Jebison. Because as much as you want to call him in as he's a dual national, obviously you have to accept he's not getting in right now based on his form because he's not yeah. playing enough for in the championship. Not a lot of form, really. It, it, it's either going to have to take an injury or you're going to have to break down the door. I mean, whereas out of other positions, yes, it's going to take injuries, but it doesn't take as much to knock down the door, say. like it, it, The door's a little more open. But uh, one thing worth noting last, if we're going to talk about squad, uh, I'm just going to quickly roll through and really not much to say. Just keep an eye out for suspensions because and, and or injuries because John Herdman admitted I mentioned earlier, Raheem Edwards was the only player he confirmed is on his taxi squad. Canada has one every every camp uh, where they, they kind of have, a, I think, a list of players, usually at each position probably, who can come in if needed. Last camp we saw it with Canada suffered some some injuries, some suspensions at right back. Zachary Brogiard came in late, and he even saw the field in the camp all, you know, in, in, a, in a matter of days with how things developed. Uh, Edwards is on that list this time around. We never know who it is. It's top secret. Usually, from what I infer, it looks like it's North American players, which makes sense. You're not going to call in, say, like, you know, someone like Richie Annan, who didn't make the squad, another name we could talk about being in that conversation. 
they're not going to call in Richie Ennin for the third game to come all the way from Russia to go down to Panama just to sit on the bench and maybe play five minutes. Like it's not the, the, the extended list isn't necessarily the best next guys up, but it's the guys who are in MLS who are in decent form. So if I were to be a betting man, I bet you someone like Joel Waterman or Lucas McNaughton would be in at the back. James Pentemis would be in at goal in the goal or Thomas Assault even. You look at fullback Broguiar slash Mathieu Chouanier. You look in the middle, probably someone like Ralph Preso, Russell Tybert up front, Tesho Akindeli, Tyler Pasher. Like it's pretty straightforward. So what it's worth noting that, hey, maybe if, if something goes wrong, suspensions, there are six players, yeah, one yellow away from, from suspension. Uh, Stefan Ustachio, Liam Fraser, Lucas Cavallini, Tejon Buchanan, uh, Richie Larea, and there's one more, if I'm not mistaken, out of that group that I'm uh, forgetting, who is also, it's Mark Anthony K, the, the sixth. So one yellow card in midfield or even at wing back or even up front with Tejon, the door could open for, say, a, a Pasher or even a pre, Ralph Preso, say, or Jaquiel Marshall Rudy is another name I could have mentioned to, to come in. So the squad... While it's pretty much finalized, it is a 25-man squad. It's a bit bigger for a reason. It's worth noting that with the, the rules, it's not you're not locked into a squad, say. As long as you name 23 for each match day, you can be as flexible as you want. You can call guys in. And Canada has guys ready if needed. All right, third sub listeners, quick little ad break here to thank and uh, support our friends at Macy's Sports in North Vancouver on Brooksbank Avenue. Um, it's the off season for for some of us, right? And uh, you know, I'll be looking if I'm if I'm back in Vancouver in the summer, gonna hit Macy's up for some gear, whether it's boots, kits, shirts, whatever. Uh, you know, when I go do those Sunset Beach runs in the summer, shout out to uh, Sunset Beach. Um, you know, if it's a little futsal, it's a little indoor soccer, it's a little uh, soccer on the pavement. Doesn't matter what it is, Macy's has gear for you. So. Uh, They've been great supporters of, of the show, great supporters of local soccer. So uh, check out their website, check out their socials, hit them up in North Vancouver if you're in the area. So uh, shout out to them. Now back to the show. And all it takes is one yellow card happy match for all of a sudden that to, to be a real thing. And maybe you have to... Or even um, a red card. We forget yeah, about those right? too. But, but you have to... that that. that that can really change things very quickly. Obviously, that's if you're Canada, you you want to be avoiding that scenario. But it is something as these windows go on that you have to watch out for because it does it does sneak up. Um, okay, well, do we want to talk a little bit about uh, just kind of table watching and and what is you know formally on the table uh, for Canada? in this window and and then we'll dive a little bit into the matchup specifically so yeah getting the getting the arithmetic out uh what does canada need to do what are they looking at uh in terms of sort of clinching scenarios and and the teams around them as well yeah for sure i mean uh it's important to to, to know what canada is playing for a little, give you an idea what to cheer for what to 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 watch for on the out of town scoreboard so it's a little less stressful than it has been in other windows but uh you know as some a unique challenge nonetheless what i'll say is i'll be honest i actually want like i have spent time where i've written it out and i've spent one of my some time with with one of my good friends who's also a canada fan he might be listening to the show you know you are felix you're he when i when i visit him in montreal 
we wrote out the, the, the permutation also shout out to, to, to our friend, Brian, who also listens. I know he listens to the show, so I'll shut him out. Cause I think he was also there when we having this discussion, like we wrote out the permutations and started going through everything. Like I got a proper headache, just spending half an hour looking at if this team wins, but they play this team and this team wins. So I'm kind of more focusing it on a game, the game basis with like what can happen. And, if things change, we'll update you on the third sub live pregame show. We'll plug that now. Make sure if you don't have a Twitter account, create one because every pregame around 90 to 100 minutes before we do go live on Twitter. It's a fun time. It's interactive. Come join and we'll update anything we learn on there. But heading into this first game, things are pretty straightforward for Canada. You win, you're in. You, you, you know, you book the, the right now, they're mathematically assured of top four. So that means that at worst, say an absolute tire fire disaster window, Costa Rica decides to go God mode, Panama, US, Mexico, they all go crazy. Canada drops to fourth. That's as far as they can drop. They'll go play New Zealand or who knows, maybe the Cook Islands. You never know in this new COVID reality. In, in I think it's the, the June or in the fall in Qatar to, to in the intercontinental playoff, they'd have a great chance. But right now you win you're in, you draw, you are in if the U.S. fails to get a point uh, at the Azteca in their opening game or if Panama fails to get a point uh, or if they drop, they don't win against Honduras at home. So either of those teams fail to win, you're in. I think the the Panama one a little less, you know, reasonable. Honduras has struggled. Panama at home, they need it to win. I'd expect them to win. They also had that comeback over Honduras away earlier, but you look at, at uh, what you, you know, you look at Mexico hosting the U S I'd favor that. So I'd say if you're Canada, a draw, you're most likely in. if you lose, if you're Canada, you can still get in and book a top three spot, but you need both of those results not to happen. Whereas you need, you need Panama and the U S not to win. And if I'm not mistaken, one of them to even lose, I'm not hundred percent sure, but uh, what makes things so complicated and, and, and what's going to be so fun about this Octo, the schedule makers had the time of their lives because every team plays each other. Canada plays Costa Rica and Panama, who are both in the race. The uh, Panama plays uh, Canada and the U.S., who are obviously they're competing against. Mexico's lucky. They just play the U.S., uh, and then that's it. Uh, and then the U.S. plays Panama, Costa Rica, and Mexico, which is just an absolute bloodbath. So all the games because of window that, for the U.S. Like because of that, it's hard to really say because there's all these permutations where X team can't get to X points because they're playing each other and yada yada yada. So there's going to be a lot of six point games in this window, which is phenomenal for a neutral. Which is why I want Canada book it in the first game so I can enjoy that. But uh, that's kind of how things are lining up for them in the first game, say. And it's just worth noting that those other games are worth watching because of how lucky we are that we've got so many top five teams playing each other. This isn't a window where you're looking like, oh, you need, you know, the Mexico to drop points against Jamaica. No, this is a game where the best are playing each other and it's going to impact what happens. Yeah, certainly got lucky there in terms of the the schedule, and and obviously if it ends up being Costa Rica or Panama in that fourth spot, you know the same kind of fate awaits them where they'll go to face a a oceanic team. But yeah, I think that's it's definitely great to see that there's kind of this clear divide, you know, where you get points out of this 
opening match in Costa Rica and you're you're feeling very good about not that not that you're not feeling good about your hopes long term, but it'd just be it'd be nice. There's a very obvious goal for Canada to seek out. They take care of business in Costa Rica and that essentially sort of sorts out their window. But there is obviously that pot three seeding to play for. So there's there's motivations to continue winning matches and to uh, finish this window with the the best record possible, obviously, in order to um, you know position yourself as strongly as possible for the World Cup as well. So that's something underlying not only for Canada but for uh, Mexico and the United States as well. If they have designs on a a strong World Cup showing, yeah, for sure. I think it's something that you want to focus on if you're Canada because. We talked about it a bit. We're not going to go into it too much beyond because until we see how the picture goes there. But is if you're going to a World Cup, you want as good of your odds as you can. Like we mentioned, this is Canada's first World Cup in 36 years. Should they make it? But again, mathematically, it's you know very strong. You want you know it's, yes, it's you want your best experience. Where hey, if you draw a group of France, uh, you know, somehow I think like Spain or Germany, if they're pot two teams, Senegal, like, yes, that group would absolutely suck, but it's your first world cup in 36 years. That's experience. You want to see your Alfonso Davies, your Jonathan Davids playing against your, you know, your Mbappes, your Benzema's, your Sadio Mane's, your, 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 you know, your teams like that. Like that's, you know, that's no secret, but at the same time you go to a world cup to win your, you, you, of course, it's it's about the experience and enjoying it, but you also it's it's not a participation a- tournament, especially not for the caliber of player Canada has on the roster now, right? It's not it's not about seeing well, the sights and showing up. Yeah, it's not say like Panama in 2018, almost where just with how much of a miracle it was for them to make it in after everything that transpired in the U.S. falling out on the last day and their aging squad. Yeah. For them, it was a great time. You kind of got that last hurrah for a golden, like an older generation. Okay. But this Canadian team, they have their sights set on 2026. Like there's no reason on paper why they can't make a run in 2026. So why not, you know, get a taste of it this year. You go to the, say the round of 16 with a good draw, heck you maybe even sneak your way to a quarterfinal. That experience would be immense in, in 2026. But the only way that's going to happen is, you, you know, unless you go, you, you somehow make it out of a group with, again, like I mentioned, like a France, Germany, Senegal, you do want a bit of an, an easier draw. Not to say there is an easy draw in the World Cup. Everyone's there for a reason. It's going to be hard. The conditions are going to be tough. But you want to, you know, you do always want to draw where you go out there and say, hey, we, we know we have a chance of, of, of making things happen. So I think it's important. The one thing is with, worth noting with pot three, it's pretty much out of Canada's control. I think all they need to do is just win as much as they can. And from there, there's just really so many results that like, for example, if there's three upsets in in the African qualifiers and say the U S drops to fourth, like pushing them into pot four with how the, the intercontinental works, all of a sudden Canada could go up without into pot three with winning just one game. Like it's out of their control, but you do want to win all three games to give yourself as much of a chance to, so that only one or two of those results happen and you're in, in safe hands instead of having to rely on some some miracle. So it's worth, that's why I'd say it's worth noting that while in most years it's just getting in, you're in, okay, you worry about it. There is some incentive for Canada to continue what they've done and 
finish undefeated and finish atop because now that they've done all the heavy work, the, there is a real chance for them to to have a good draw. Absolutely. That's, that's, you know, something to watch out for the rest of, of these matches. Uh, not only what happens in CONCACAF, but what happens around the world because it can have an effect. And I know Alex, you along with lots of other people will be feverishly uh, doing that math in the background, trying to figure out what's going on. But all right, we want to talk a little bit. We'll we'll dive briefly without without giving all our preview stuff away into. Uh, we these, still have live shows to do here. Exactly, <laughs> these three matchups at Costa Rica on Thursday the twenty fourth, uh, at home at, at BMO Field, Sunday the twenty seventh against Jamaica, and then Wednesday in Panama. That's the thirtieth. Yeah, let's let's start with Costa Rica. I mean, we already talked about it a little bit off the top, but all of a sudden they're within a point of fourth after being declared dead earlier on in in the qualification. It seemed like like they just initially seemed a little bit listless. You know, is this is this core group well past their prime? They've they've integrated some young guys into the squad, but it's it's been a slow build. Uh, Costa Rica has been very very kind of stagnant tactical. Uh, they're not probably going to win many beauty contests in terms of their football, but incredibly stingy defensively, uh, only allowed seven goals so far and only scored eight. So the, the thinnest of margins. Uh, but this Costa Rica side certainly not going to give anything away for free and definitely not going to give anything away for free at home. So if Canada is going to take the three points and book their ticket or even take a draw and, and, and book their ticket that way, uh, they're going to have to go out there and get it and, and break down a very stingy Costa Rican team. Yeah, I think there's so much to watch out for with this Costa Rica team. And I think I want to I wanna return to something that we said back in November and shout out to those who might've been there to even hear us say it, but we talked about it in Canada's the lead up to Canada's game and cost uh, against Costa Rica and Edmonton watch out like this team heading into that window. If, if you remember correctly, people were laughing like, Oh, it's Costa Rica. Canada should win easily at home. We, I, you know, both of us were, were, were saying before the game, like, look at their underlying stats, look at their goals against, like they're stingy. They're hard to play against. they lost like pretty much like all their games have been decided by one goal, except like one game. I think it was against Mexico at the time, which again, it's like, it's even their one against Mexico. Yeah. It was a one goal game. All of their games were one goal games. And since then, all of their games have still been one goal games. Like I'm looking through their results. It's, Every game they've played has been decided by one goal for the positive or the negative. They're a stingy team. They're hard to play against. They drag you into the ground and they they fight you. And not, not in a bad way, that, but that's just the way they play. And I think you saw it in Edmonton. Canada got engaged in, in a, a, what I'd probably describe as a bar fight. And credit to Canada. They played very well. They kept Costa Rica at bay. They pounced on their one ch- big chance that came to them. And Jonathan uh, David, he made no mistake and they won. But it shows you it's going to be that kind of game. It's going to be one of those. It's not one of those games where, you know, maybe it's a, you know, wide open. It's 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 entertaining. It's not kind of like maybe Honduras in, in the January window where it's a little chaotic. It was a little open. No, this game is going to be a tactical boxing fight. And I think Canada has to be ready. There's a, re- there's a reason why Honduras has been able to crawl their way back in. You look at some of their recent results, like, 
after they lost to Canada and the U.S. back-to-back away, which is tough for them that they got that schedule. They beat Honduras at home. They beat Panama at home, which is a massive result and is the reason why they're even still really alive in the race is that they, they kept the distance between them and Panama just one point, obviously. They drew Mexico at the Azteca, no small feat at any time of, of year. And then they beat Jamaica away to eliminate Jamaica from contention in the process. Those are some massive results. So all I say is this Costa Rica team, while well, I can't say if Canada plays their best game, it's a game they can win, but it's going to be more of a boxing match. It's going to be a one moment, two moment decides the game instead of, a, okay, maybe if you have a bad start, you can recover. No, Canada's going to need to be locked and loaded from the first minute if they want to win. Yeah, I mean, you just you look at the roster and you got Navas and Goal at, at 35, obviously, you know, world-class quality there. And then Duarte and, and Calvo is your, your center back pairing. That's just so much experience, so much kind of guile and, and veteran savvy. That's the reason why they've they've given away so little. Um, but then you look through the midfield and really other than Joel Campbell, in terms of just attacking options, guys that are really going to punish you for your mistakes defensively. It's not quite there. Hasn't been to the to the level of, you know, even even someone like a Honduras who's who's really struggled, you've got Aromel Kyodoro um, Albert Felice, you know, Brian Acosta, those kinds of guys. Um, and, and Costa Rica just doesn't necessarily have the attacking weapons. So I think that's, that's an area obviously where Canada can take a little bit more risk, be more aggressive because they're not going to be super worried about getting hit on the counter punished. I don't think that they can kind of play the game their way, be attacking and assertive because you, you need to do what you can to break down this Costa Rican side. And while obviously you you know you can't leave yourself exposed at the back, I, I think Canada can play with the confidence that they're not going to get stretched too much by this Costa Rican team. Yeah, for sure. I think looking at it, the one that's why I'd say it's a tough matchup for Canada. But on one hand, it is it does also favor them in the sense where. I think worst case scenario, because Canada did play them twice last year. They shut, they kept clean sheets in both games. I think worst case scenario, Canada escapes this with the draw. And hey, maybe they qualify with that draw, like we mentioned with the permutations. I just look at Canada's defense. I look at Canada. Imagine saying that a few years ago, looking at Canada's defense with positive, with positive light. But you look at Canada's defensive body work. You look at Costa Rica's offense. Yeah, it's going to be tough at home. Always a different beast, though, so you can't draw that out. But, uh, yeah, it's going to really come down to how Canada pierces that back line, how they're probably only going to get one or two chances. So you're going to need your Jonathan Davids and Kyle Lahrens to be uh, clinical. So it's going to be a real tough game. I think it's – honestly, though, it's probably going to be the most fun. I'm just looking on paper with what Costa Rica has to play for, with what Canada has to play for. It's going to be a real CONCACAF, mano a mano, you know, boxing fight. I, I've said it multiple times, but I really get that that vibe. It's not maybe a heavyweight. It's not your your Mexico, US, or even now your Canada, US, Canada, Mexico, but it's a nice little like middleweight. It's a good like Canel, Canel, yeah, Canelo Alvarez kind of fight. If uh, I know I was dropping really obscure boxing references on the the, the show, I, I don't know where I'm pulling that from, but uh, that's kind of the vibes I'm, I'm, I'm getting from this one. All right, well, let's, Let's go then from the team that uh, 
the team that Canada is facing to, uh, oh, I, I totally messed this up, but okay. Costa Rica knocked out Jamaica. Canada, after playing Costa Rica, will face Jamaica. So what I was trying trying to do in a clever way, it didn't work. But uh, this Jamaican side, obviously they're officially eliminated now, and uh, that makes things kinds of tough. You know, they've they've already dealt with managerial change, uh, lack of confidence in the in the national team structure, and and now a lot of young guys in the squad. Um, some of their Premier League stars not in the team this window. So Canada facing them at home, this is kind of the proverbial banana peel to slip on if you're Canada. It feels like a bit of a trap match. Uh, but Alex, your thoughts on, I mean, first maybe addressing some of the absences, but then also what kind of challenge a, a young Jamaican team with nothing to lose is going to look like in Toronto. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think this Jamaica team's kind of been a lot younger throughout and filled with new faces throughout qualifiers. So it's really hard to say who has been regulars, who has been not. For me, really, it's just two names that stood out when looking at the squad today. No Michael Antonio, I assume. Uh, I think he's been healthy or maybe he's dealt. He's always dealing with either he's dealing with a knock or West Ham, Jamaica just decided to keep him because West Ham's pushing for Champions League. Uh, spots and then no Ethan Pinnock. Yeah, I know he's also dealt with some injuries throughout the year, but those are kind of the two main guys in terms of Premier League experience. For me, that what really signaled that this was going to be a younger squad is kind of shout out to the Canadian Premier League. Alex Marshall, winger for Halifax Wanderers, is in this Jamaica squad. He's been in Jamaica squad many times before, but he's actually in proper for a camp that isn't like a January camp or a gold cup. He's in for these World Cup qualifiers. I thought that was pretty cool and deserves a shout-out to see a CPL guy getting called up to such a big national team in a big competition. But it kind of signals how Jamaica is going. It's guys, younger guys, guys who they view as the future. And they have a new manager. It's to be real. They've already been eliminated from this. There's no like last-ditch hope of them even playing for the, the playoff. They're out. They've got the new manager. It's all about the 2023 gold cup it's all about nations league in the fall it's all about the 2026 world cup cycle so that starts pretty much this window so i think if you're canada it's at home where canada has won all but one game which and they're on a five game home winning streak let's be real canada should win this game they should win this game handily like it should be two three four nil should be a way to celebrate qualification of which they if they don't secure in costa rica they would secure with the win against jamaica like, don't get me wrong. It should be a party. Canada should play well, but don't underestimate. I'd say don't expect the sort of Jamaica team that you'd get if this was a dead rubber. I think for a lot of these players, they're fighting for spots in June, in the, in the fall, for the Gold Cup next year. So it's going to be a hungry Jamaican side, but just the reality of them having that newer coach, a younger side, it's going to be some growing pains on display as they get used to a new system and etc so i think it's going to be a hungry jamaica side but also a side that canada if they fail to beat it would be a minor miracle for for jamaica and a very big surprise and disappointment for canada it feels like the theme of this qualification cycle for jamaica has just been like a lack of consistency and a lack of identity right like they they have some pieces but i just I don't feel like this Jamaican team has known how they want to play, how they want to break down opponents, how they want to emphasize their strengths and sort of impose their will on teams. So that's something, obviously, that they're just going to have to 
be on the lookout for uh, going forward and, and try to get these young guys integrated and, and find the way to get the most out of the, the players on the roster. And they don't have all those guys there this window, but uh, a team that I think there's some exciting signs for the future. It's just a bit of a struggle right now. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's it's going to be a fun team to watch long-term, especially if they can get some of the the guys they've been targeting. You, you hear some... So there's just so many names. I mean, there's a lot of guys in, in, in England, for example, with these kind of dual national passports. I think Michael Antonio, Ethan Pinnock kind of led the way in that regard in terms of English dual nationals. You see some of the names like guys like Mason Holgate getting thrown around and, and so many more. Like it's going to be an exciting time for Jamaica in the long term, especially if they can get these guys to commit like they have, especially like Leon Bailey's another one who's been super exciting. But uh, it's all about rebuilding. But otherwise, last team will roll through quickly here. It's honestly the team where it's like not much to say. Panama, they're just a solid, well-coached team. I mean, they they've just <laughs> they've found a way to just get results this window and, and and be annoying. And what what's been so key about them, I find I've I've found is that they've like what what's you know what, what we talk about in the World Cup cycle is they win the games you're supposed to win. And sometimes I know that sounds very simplistic, but sometimes teams, if fail to do that, they'll look at the U S for example, they're on, they're nervy. They're heading into a tough window with three tough games. Let's be real. If they didn't drop points, if they didn't lose outright to Panama away in a game. They probably could have done a lot better in, or if drop points to Jamaica in a game where they could have done a lot better in, they wouldn't be in this position. They, those are two teams that, you know, they should have beaten and they, and they didn't. And, you know, you look at where Canada has been. Yeah, they they had that banana peel against Honduras at the beginning and that banana peel against Jamaica, but they made up for it by plastering Panama once, El Salvador twice, Costa Rica once, and then obviously they added the bonus wins. That's why they are where they are. Panama, the reason why they're in the middle of the fight is I'm looking at their results. They got the wins they needed to, to, to get. They beat Jamaica away, which is just a huge win. They beat USA at, at home. They beat Honduras a struggling Honduras team that's they avoided the banana peel. They beat El Salvador. They beat the two bottom teams on, on the, the, the Octo. And I think they also beat Jamaica. Like they've beaten all the teams they have needed to beat. The only reason that why they're, you know, they, they've, they've struggled against the bigger teams. Yes. They've lost to Mexico. They've lost to Canada. Um, you know, they've lost to Costa Rica. That's, you know, normal, but I think this Panama team has proven to be a very no nonsense. They'll be solid in every game they play. And, uh, because of that, that's where they are. You got to give credit to Thomas Christensen. It's a roster where you look at it. There's, you know, not really any like wild top names. Yes, there are a few. I mean, you got a bunch of guys playing in, in the Spanish league. Uh, you know, like you look at Bar Bar Barcenas playing in Leganes, uh, you know, and some other ones like Adalberto Carasquilla playing at Houston Dynamo. He, he looks super solid when the Whitecaps played and against Canada. You got all sorts of solid names in their roster. They're a solid team. They they beat the teams they're supposed to be. Like they're they're not fun to play against. Well, that's what I was going to shout out. I was going to shout out Annabelle Godoy and Karaskia. That that midfield pivot. I think that's if you're looking for a strength of the roster. Those two guys have have definitely been quality contributors. And as you said, yeah, I think that. The form has cooled off, certainly for Panama recently, but they've also been facing some tougher opponents um, in, you know, in 2022 
losing to Costa Rica 1-0, losing to Mexico 1-0, but but kind of like Costa Rica in these matches, you know, keeping things close, they're not getting blown out uh, 4-0, and then they're taking advantage, as you said, of, of matches they should be winning. So, you know, you look at Panama Honduras uh, to open up this window, like that's that's huge, right? Like if they're able to to secure three points there, then can they can they eke anything out against the U.S. and then eke anything out against Canada? Um, ultimately, they gotta win that that match against Honduras and then see what they can get out of the next two. So it'll be interesting to see how many points they've managed to collect when they host Canada, because that will obviously affect what kind of scenarios we're looking at. But yeah, I think really just a. A pretty, a pretty well-coached, well-drilled team. Not a ton of standout names, but uh, they've, they've found a way to, to grind out results. Kind of a, a, a younger, hipster version of, of Costa Rica. And they've, they've really impressed this window. Because I think a lot of people had them probably... I had them eighth and seventh. My, my I was going to say, I think I, I saw pretty much everyone had them seventh or eighth. Uh, I mean, I was certainly a lot higher on Jamaica. Things kind of fell apart there. Uh, Costa Rica, you know, I think people were were cautious to count them out. And then, you know, Honduras and El Salvador, I think there was even potentially slightly more hype in those two. Just Panama was sort of forgotten about coming into this window, and they've they've really uh, done a job just kind of grinding out. And, and as you said, I, I think you emphasized it really well. Like, if you take care of your home matches, you take care of the team's you know, either around your skill level or the teams you're supposed to beat, that that takes you a long way in this qualification cycle. Not not tripping on those banana peels along the way, and they've they've had a clean campaign so far. But they're they're going to need some big results in these last three to uh, really cement their standing. I think it just that's why you look at the standings. That's why they are where they are. Like what what did we mention 15 minutes ago? that heading into this last round, there's a lot of six pointers. It's because Canada, Mexico, the U S Panama and Costa Rica have beaten for the most part, the teams they've needed to beat, And the rest have just been, who's, who's been the best at stealing points off the, off each other. And that's been Canada, U S and Mexico, kind of the big three that they've been the, the best at that. But uh, I think for Panama, for me, the biggest game of this window has to be the, the Honduras game. Like it has to be, um Honduras has lost five in a row on the trot so that's uh served up on a platter for them it feels like I think if they can do that then it's going to be fun because if if they if they do that um that would put them up to to 20 points I would put four teams above the 20 point bar Costa Rica also with all their six point games you you won't rule them out and they'll be cheering think, for Canada in that Costa Rica match right oh for sure they will and you know I think it, it could be you know it's going to be interesting especially that last game because potentially Canada losing to Panama could knock the U.S. out of the World Cup which would be hilarious which I saw someone suggest on Twitter I'm just like oh my imagine the meltdown after Canada steals four points off the U.S. and then loses to Panama to knock the to knock the U.S. out. And obviously, I think Canada's gonna you know go in and, and try to win, but it just shows how much of a dogfight it's gonna be. I think if you're Panama and Costa Rica, uh, you you have to win those those, those games where 
for for Panama, it's you have to win that Honduras, and then Costa Rica, you have to win that El Salvador game, and then you see what happens in your your six pointers. But don't take away Panama. I think Panama, the way I put it, is looking back in my predictions where I had Jamaica in the top four. I think Panama ended up being what Jamaica was supposed to be. Because I kind of, you know, most people felt Canada, U.S., Mexico is going to be the the first year of the big three. I don't think anyone saw Canada being the team that would run this big three. We thought it would be competitive between them and close, and it has been. But Canada has obviously pulled away and has those victories over the their other big three compatriots. But it was supposed to be Jamaica following right behind them, kind of cleaning up. It ends up being Panama and then Costa Rica, man. They're just like the, they're just the the dog of CONCACAF that just kind of sticks around the you table. You can't get like, rid of them. But, but like in a good way, because they're, they're not just the dog that fights for table scraps. They, they sit down and eat at the table too, but they just kind of lurk under the table and like fool you into thinking that they're the scrap dog. And the next thing you know, they're eating all of the best food off the table. And you're wondering like, who let them into the, who let them get to this position. So it's it's CONCACAF. It's it's fun and honestly, I think that's a good way to to end it. It's a bit of abrupt ending, I know, but uh, that's my 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 ultimate sentiment after this show. I'm just so even more excited now, not just for Canada because there's so much to 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 enjoy and to to watch with this Canadian team and their permutations. But man, just the way that it's shaped up in the rest of Concacaf, like it doesn't get much better than this heading into the last three games. No team has booked a spot in the world cup five teams vying for three direct spots in one playoff all of them playing each other like it doesn't get much more perfect than that i think a lot of qualification systems around the world would die to have a system like like that and i mean shout out to south america where i think there's like six teams fighting for three spots there where it's going to be an absolute bloodbath but then you look at over at some other places i think of uh, Asia, for example, there's two groups. I'm pretty sure one group is all like already all locked up with like three games to 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 go. So, you know, and you look at Europe too, where a lot of them were locked up very early. Like this is so, it's going to be so fun. It's going to be entertaining, and I think uh, hopefully it can produce some drama. And to to not to say hopefully too much, but hopefully for Canada they can just lock it up and enjoy the festivities from a bit of afar because it's going to be fun. I mean, I think as a as a Canadian sort of neutral to the rest of the table, the, the match that I have circled to watch is that U.S.-Panama match in Orlando. Because if Panama can take care of business against Honduras, if Canada beats Costa Rica, and if the U.S. drops points against Mexico, then... That, I think, makes, you know, all of a sudden the U.S. gets a little bit more nervy. They lost Panama. In Panama, I think it's just that's when when the nerves really start to play in. U.S. missing some players with injury. This, you know, probably isn't a window where they wanted to be relying on having to to gain a ton of points to secure their spot. So I, I think that's going to be a very interesting match as a as a third party observer. But then obviously the three Canadian matches loom large. But uh, that that could, if things get really interesting, have a big impact on the way this window plays out. So I'm looking forward to that as well as all the potential chaos that might unfold. For me, if I'm going to add my game to the hat, I'm looking at US Costa Rica away last game like that for me. I'm just looking at how everything is lined up with Canada playing Panama, Costa Rica playing U.S. I think other than the 
you know, other than the first window where, where Canada's playing Costa Rica and the U.S. is playing Mexico, those are, that's the only other window where there's two six-point games going on uh, on the same day. So I'm looking at that. Say because I'm pretty sure I've been reading. I haven't done the direct math on the U.S. qualifications, but experts have been saying that should they win against Panama and pick up a point in either of their away games, they should be in. Well, I'm just thinking of a scenario where say yes, they beat Panama, but they don't beat Mexico, and they head into that Costa Rica game, say needing a point to 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 get to to get in. They had they needed a point heading into Trinidad and Tobago in 2017 to get in, if I'm not mistaken. They ended up losing outright. That drama of a Costa Rica sold out house, by the way. Same with Canada, no COVID restrictions. Um, what a, what an atmosphere that that could be. So I'm circling that U.S. Costa Rica game. That that could be like the honestly that could be like the popcorn the the movie the blockbuster game of this octo like yes canada the ice teca was the memorable one you know even you add the ice cap you know i'm sure this mexico game can't mexico u.s game at the azteca is going to be super fun the dosis arrow where, where the u.s beat mexico 2-0 in a, in a what was it i forget which stadium it was one of those mls stadiums it was those were all fun but this costa rica u.s game like if, if all those were, were you know, A-tier movies, like this is going to be like the, the Spider-Man No Way Home of this uh, this final octo. This is the one that everyone needs to, to, to watch. So I'm, I'm circling that one with uh, great attention. All right. Well, hopefully we get a scenario like that on, on the closing day. I mean, if, if, if listeners can't tell it, it might seem like we're, we're cheering for some USMNT demise, but honestly, that would just be, it would be the I'm most entertaining chaos. scenario, right? It has nothing to do I'm with... I'm team chaos. I, yeah. I want the US to do well. I want Mexico to do well. It's, it's healthy for CONCACAF in Canada to have a big three. The stronger... But I also want the, other, the smaller teams to do well as well. The stronger CONCACAF is as a whole, the better it is for Canada. So uh, that both means... Mexico and the U.S. having success, but it also means teams like Panama and Costa Rica um, playing up to that level as well. So we're just hoping for some some quality football, some some exciting matches, some uh, some tense moments in this closing window. And uh, man, what a what a pleasure it's been! Really, uh, you know, hasn't been this much fun to cover Canadian men's national team stuff in a while because you know it's. It's it's easy to cover when when the team's having a lot of success. So looking forward to uh, to breaking down everything that happens this window before the inevitable return to MLS. So uh, I hope everyone enjoyed. Alex, any any final thoughts before we sign off here? No, I think that pretty much wraps it up. I uh, hope you enjoyed the Canada centric episode. Um, we got more white caps coming down. Of course, their season continuing. CPL around the corner. We might have to do some some CPL stuff, uh, you know, based on how, how things end up crumbling here. Canada Women's National Team Victory Tour in BC. I will be there. So obviously I'll have a lot to say about that. So we'll definitely do some show. We'll, we'll make sure to also, uh, to, you know, for all of those to get in some fun guests. We've been working the the, the proverbial third subphone lines uh, as we, we always are here. So lots of stuff to, to come in that. The live shows, make sure to tune in for all the the, 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 the games, men's Canada, women's Canada, uh, and the Whitecaps. We'll be doing live shows for all of them. They're a blast. We, we have a good time. Uh, 
hopefully you guys do as well but you, you, you guys show up in, in good numbers so i'd like to think that that we all have a good time at least i'm having a blast so <laughs> if there's if there's anything to, to account for it otherwise just for me i mean i'm, I'm excited i'm um, actually I haven't said anything yet because I've just been working on the administrative side of this, sorting out everything to, to ensure. And in a, in a COVID reality, you don't want to count your chickens before your hatch, but uh, I'm get if all goes well, I'm getting on a plane to go to Costa Rica uh, tomorrow. So it looks like I should, you know, knock on wood, knock on everything, be at this Canada game in Costa Rica, which I'm super excited for. So lots of big to come. I obviously, uh, and then I'll hopefully be back for, for the Jamaica game. If again, all goes well, knock on wood, COVID reality and all that. So lots of big things coming. You can follow it all at Alex Gongaruzic. I'll be documenting my travels, my work, uh, everything will, can be found there. Lots of you know stuff coming through the, the pipeline with obviously writing, talking, all that stuff. You know the deal, you can find me there. But uh, that's all for me. I'll throw it over to Sam to close off the show. Yeah, I'm going to have... Uh... Hopefully a strong Canadian contingent down there. Not only you, Alex, but some top quality shooters as well. So, you know, stay tuned for all that coverage. You can find me, as always, at Samuel underscore rowboat on Twitter at a6forever.com. You can find our podcast at Third Sub Pod on Twitter, The Third Sub on Instagram. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll chat again soon.